John chapter 21. Did you find it? John chapter 21. Uh, I'm going to give a little background before we get going on this. So John chapter 21 takes place after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So by the time John chapter 21 comes, Jesus has already been killed. He's already been buried. and He has already come to life. The issue is some disciples don't quite know this yet. Um, and so we, we catch in a scene in John chapter 21, a, a scene of a few disciples who are a little bit discouraged, a little bit in agony because their friend, their teacher, their savior, Lord Jesus, uh, is dead. They believe he's still dead. They haven't seen him yet. In fact, he promised that he would come back to life, but they actually haven't seen him yet. So they're a bit discouraged at this point in life. In fact, in John 21, we pick up with a scene with Peter. Uh, so Peter um, at this point in John chapter 21, is actually pretty upset. He's really, in, in fact, to make matters worse, that Jesus isn't back. Before Jesus died, he denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but he, in fact, denied Jesus three times. And he's still carrying that guilt, and Jesus is actually isn't around yet, even though he promised he was. So Peter, we catch Peter in a really vulnerable and tragic state in his life. He seems a bit down. And so what does he tell? He's with six other disciples, and he tells these six other disciples, hey, I'm going to go fishing. Peter was a professional fisherman, and him saying, hey, I'm going to go fish, fishing doesn't sound too harmful, sounds pretty innocent, but really what Peter is saying in that moment when he says, I'm going to go back to fishing, he's saying, you know, Jesus isn't here, I'm distraught, I'm frustrated, life is not going the way I thought it would be, I'm going to go back to my old way of life, I'm going to go back to my old job, how things used to be before Jesus showed up, I'm going to go back to fishing. In fact, six of the disciples decide to follow him. And so what happens is they actually get in a, fi a, a fishing boat, get in a fishing boat, and they start fishing. They don't catch anything. They're frustrated, and, and a man is on the coast. It's Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. So Jesus says, hey, have you caught any fish yet? No, we haven't. Hey, have you, have you put, throw your cast, throw your net to the other side of the boat. So they do, that's like the slogan of Jesus. Have you heard that before? Cast your net to the other side of the boat. So they do, and they catch 153 fish. And it's at that moment that Peter finally realizes, holy cow, that's Jesus. Like, that's amazing. There he is right there. I love this scene because Jesus, not Jesus, Peter, he like can't contain his excitement and just like goes overboard. He's like, he, he doesn't even like wait to like take off any clothes. Like he puts on clothes and like go like cannonballs into the water because he's so excited. And I love the scene because the other disciples are like, no, I'm going to stay in the boat. Like, I'm, I'm just going to row. So Peter is swimming, and like all the other disciples are like, what are you doing? Like, we could just go there. It's so all the other disciples. They, all the disciples finally meet him on the shore, and Jesus, you know what Jesus is doing? Bro is cooking breakfast. Like, how awesome is that? Risen Savior of the Lord cooking you some breakfast. Like, hallelujah, Jesus is pro-breakfast. Someone in here, hallelujah, Jesus is pro pro-breakfast, and so they eat until they're full, which is amazing that they get to eat until they are full, and then, and then there's this interaction between Jesus and Peter. It's kind of an interesting interaction, and Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, of course, I love you, and then Jesus says, well, feed my lambs. Then Jesus asks him again for the second time, Peter, do you love me? And Jesus says, or Peter says, yes, I love you, and Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. And then Jesus, for the third time, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? So this is the third time Jesus asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And at this point, Peter's kind of ticked off. Like, like how many times are you going to repeat yourself, Jesus? I already said, yes, I, like, you know everything, Jesus. You know, every, you know that I love you. How could you doubt that I love you, Jesus? Do you not know that I love you? And, and here's the thing. 
Peter, it's not, does Jesus know that you love him? Jesus knows everything. The question that Jesus is asking is, Peter, do you know that you love Jesus? He's in the midst of the storm of his life where he's denied Jesus three times. He's filled with agony because he thought his Savior was dead. Peter, do you know that you love Jesus? And so it's that moment that we pick it up in John chapter 21, verse 17. It says this. Jesus said to Peter a third time, Peter, do you love me? Peter was grieved because this was the third time that Jesus asked him, do you love me? And Peter, uh, and Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you, that's weird, and carry you where you do not want to go. That's even weirder. This, is, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. At that moment, Peter turned and saw a disciple whom Jesus loved. By the way, this is the book of John. Uh, John is writing this. The disciple that Jesus loved is John. So I want you to catch the picture. That John is talking about himself. So he says, um, he says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. John is writing about himself. Like, what? really? Like, you all about yourself. This is the, the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, the one who also leaned his back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? Like, John, why is that important? Like, why do we need to signify that you? Anyways, when Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, well, Lord, what about John? If I'm going to die, how is John going to die? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come back, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying, rumors spread among the brothers that, this, that John was never going to die. Yet Jesus didn't say that he wasn't going to die. He just said, if it was my will until I come back, that he would live forever. What does that have to do with you? This is the disciple. So then John starts talking about himself again. This is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things. John's saying, I was there so that we can trust this scripture. And says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. If, in every, if every one of these were to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's crazy to me. If, if we recorded everything that Jesus did, there would not be enough books in the world to contain it. That's amazing. It's a crazy scene. Uh, the title of tonight's message is, What's It to You? What's It to You? What does it have to do with you? Uh, by a show of hands, how many in this room have a sibling? An older brother, older sister, younger brother, younger sister, a twin? That's literally most everyone. It'd be easier. Any, like, only kids, only children in the room? A couple? Not too many. Awesome. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, and actually, um, for those who don't know, I have two siblings. I have two siblings. I have a little brother who is... Dang. I have a little brother. He's 10 years old. His name is Devin. He's a fifth grader at Wiley Elementary School. Some of you guys act like you love Devin more than you love me. What's the deal? Come on. No, Devin, Devin is awesome. He's a fifth grader at Wiley, and uh, he's awesome. But in the scope of, like, growing up as children, like, he was born when I was 16. He was born when I was 16. I was a junior in high school. Me and Devin really didn't grow up together. Uh, by the time I left for college, he was still a toddler, so I didn't really grow up with Devin. Uh, but I did grow up with my older brother named Chris. So my brother Chris is five years older than me. And as I grew up, I realized that God has a singular purpose for brothers growing up in America, and that is that we would learn how to be 
viciously competitive with each other. That's, I'm convinced that that's what siblings are mostly for. And growing up, no, there was no difference in, in the column household. The issue was my brother was better at me than literally everything. He was stronger than me, smarter than me, faster than me, more athletic than me, but literally better than me at everything, except good looks, right? Like that's what I, that's not, nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But he was better at me. And to make matters worse, like to make matters worse, his birthday is four days before mine. And so we always, growing up, we always had combined birthday parties. Like, okay, and we called him Bubba. It's like, okay, Bubba, you're better than me. You're cooler than me, popular than me, more athletic. And I can't even have my own birthday away from you. Like, come on, that stinks. Jesus, really? Really, Jesus, four days apart? Come on, what are you thinking? So we grew up, we were super competitive. And in that, in that time in our life, there was, a new, there was a product, there was an item out in the market. It wasn't new, it had been around for a while. But there was an item uh, gaining more popularity because it was easier to buy. And that item was a cell phone. It was a cell phone. So this isn't, I'm not talking about 2018 where like babies come out of the womb with an iPhone. I'm not talking about today. Uh, it's, I'm not talking about 2018. Let me take you back for a second to 2003, okay? So the Boston Red Sox had just lost to the Devils team, the New York Yankees in the American League Championship. And uh, 50 Cent was at the top of the charts in this moment. Anyone? No one listens to 50 Cent anymore. That's fine. 2003. And 12-year-old Braden, all he wanted for Christmas was a cell phone. That's all I asked Santa for. That's all I asked my parents for. Like, all I wanted as a 12-year-old in 2003 was a cell phone. Now, I don't know how you do Christmas growing up, um, but my, in my family, in the Column household, we saved the best present for last, right? We saved, like, my parents knew what present was last, so they would save it until the very end. So my brother and I would just tear through, like, tear through presents. You know, like, the ones at the beginning, like, the appetizers. Like, no one really cares about, like, socks, great. Underwear, really, Mom? Like, you could have got me this on Tuesday. Why is this underneath the Christmas tree? And we tear through these things, and we, we, we finally get to the last present. And my brother's older and better and cooler, and so he would always go first. He'd always, and we have the, the, the present, the size of the box is about the same size. I'm getting excited. Like, this is awesome. So my brother tears up the box. He opens it up. What does he pull out? A Motorola V220 cell phone. Let's go. Let's go. And so I'm looking at my box. I'm thinking my box is the same size as his box. My parents got him a cell phone. I know they love me more. So I'm excited. So I start tearing open the Christmas paper. I start ripping open the box. And I pull out. A jacket. This is no joke, you guys. I pull out a jacket. Now, in all fairness, in all fairness to my parents, I needed a jacket at this point in my life. And this was like a really nice, expensive jacket that would last way longer than any cell phone on the market. But a jacket, mom and dad? Come on! But you know when you get a Christmas, parent, a Christmas present, you can't complain about the present. Did you know this? Do you have a rule in your household? Like, or your mom would kill you, and that's exactly what would happen. Like, if I complained for a second about what present I got, my mom would end my life. And so it's like, a check. Golly gee, mom. Dad, thank you guys. Golly whiz. That's just the best present in the world. But inside, I'm thinking, a jacket? All I wanted was a cell phone. He got a cell phone, a jacket, cell phone, a jacket? 
That and like every like every spoiled American kid has said this at some point in their life. That's not fair. Right? Like we've all said that. That's not fair. I want to self house up here. And um, that was my mentality. How does he how does he get a cell phone? That's not fair. I think this is the same mentality that Peter has in John chapter 21. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, the third, yes, I love you. And then, and then Jesus responds, awesome, you're going to die. Like, can you imagine Peter in that moment? <laughs> Like, this escalated really quickly, Jesus. Like, are you okay? Bad fish for lunch? What happened? Like, Jesus says, you're going to die, and it's not going to be great. It's not going to be very fun. Uh, it's going to be uh, pretty epically bad for you. It's going to go down really bad. And so what does Peter do? Immediately, he starts looking around. He finds the first guy that he can think of. He's like, what about this guy? I get a jacket. He better get nothing. I'm going to die a terrible death. What about... John, right? He starts looking around immediately, asking what's going to happen to him. Like aren't, we, like, aren't we funny, like, as creatures, as people, that, like, if things aren't going well for me, I'm actually really excited if things aren't going well for you. Like, I find some weird sick joy. Like, my life's terrible. I'm glad hers is, too. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that, like, we, we do that? Why do we do that? And then... And then, but if like your life is going great and my life is terrible, like I develop a prayer life really quickly. Like, Jesus, what's, what's the deal? Seriously? Like, I love you too. I follow you well. Why is she getting all the gifts and all the fun and all the things? What's, what's the deal? I, that's not fair. That's not fair. And so Peter says, well, what about that guy? What about John? Is he going to die? How is he going to die? How's he going to die? I love Jesus. He's, you know, meek, mild, tender, sweet. Six pound, four ounce baby Jesus. <laughs> and you would think in this moment where Peter's like, well, what about him? That's a little harsh. You think Jesus would say, oh, you're right. That was a little harsh of me. I'm sorry, Peter. We all die, don't we? You're right. I'm sorry. We all die. That's what I meant to say. We all die. And your death's going to bring glory to God. And you're just really special to me. So... Uh, what I love about Jesus is that's not what he says. Peter's having this crisis. I'm going to, why would you tell me that, Jesus? I'm going to die. Well, what about John? What's John, how's he going to die? Like, like how unfortunate would li Peter's life be right now? Because what does is, what is Jesus tell Peter? Like, John, he may never die. Like, what's the opposite of a terrible death? Living forever. Awesome. Thanks, Jesus. Makes me feel really good. Peter, you're going to die. John's going to live forever. Forever. Like, I, there are moments where, like, Jesus is, he's really direct in this moment. And he's not always as direct as he is, but Jesus is really direct in this moment. He says, John may never die. You're going to die, but John may never die. And then what does he say? What does that have to do with you? John may never die, but what does that have to do with you? And then what does he say? He says, follow me. 
You see, John didn't live forever. That'd be awesome. He'd still be here. We could ask him a ton of questions. But John did. He's not here anymore. But the thing is, is, is that Jesus is saying to Peter, what is John's death? What is his destiny? What does John's life have anything to do with you? You see, the truth, the, the first thing I want you to understand tonight is the truth about Jesus is that we are all following the same person, but we are not all following the same path. We're all following the same person, but we're not following the same path. I just want to like break this to you tonight that um, if you demand fairness in your life, Jesus is not the guy for you. In fact, our world is not the world for you. Our life is, is full of unfair situations. Like, have you ever met someone who's like, life seems so perfect? Like, everything's so easy for them. Good grades, oh, perfect life, perfect family, and they're attractive. How does that even work? Come on. Seriously? Like, I hate that person. Anyone else? Like, really? Jesus, you gave me this, and you gave them that? Seriously? Like, what's the deal? Like, I can't stand that person. Like, their path, their life seems so easy to mine. And when I follow Jesus, I don't even know if I'm on the right path sometimes. Like, what in the world, Jesus? What's the deal? Why can't my life look like their life? And Jesus is saying, what does that have to do with you? The truth about following Jesus is that we are all following the same person, but we're not all following the same path. So many of us are upset with God because we have all these plans and all these hopes and dreams, but things aren't lining up. Things aren't... Uh, falling into place that we wish they would be. Like, life's not as good as we see on Instagram from that person. You know who I'm talking about? There's, like, that person on Instagram. It's like, how do you afford to go to the beach every week? How can you afford, like, do you have a job? How do you get to Europe all the time? And you see, like, that person, and then, like, in the caption, it's a Bible verse. You're like, of course. They're super spiritual, and they get to go to Europe every week. Wow, thanks, Jesus. Here I am in Abilene, Texas. Really? Like, there's that person. Like, what in the world? Why can't my path look like theirs? But can I tell you something tonight? That some of us are way too focused on our path in life and not focused enough on Jesus. We're so focused on our path that we forget to focus on Jesus. And just like Peter in John chapter 21, we're looking around and be like, well, what about that guy? Why can't my life look like that guy? Why can't my, my world look like that person's world? Why does my life look like it is right now? And as you're so busy looking around all these different places and situations and people, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. What, do they, what does that have to do with my destiny, my path for you? Follow me. Follow me. You see, another truth about following Jesus is that you won't actually know where he's leading you. Have you noticed that every time Jesus approaches a disciple, future disciple, and says, follow me, he never tells them where they're going? He just says, follow me. And like, they're like, okay, I guess I'll go follow you, Jesus. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do? There will be times when you won't know where Jesus, like, have you ever felt like that? Like, you have no idea, like, what life is throwing at you. Things seem chaotic. You've planned out everything, but things still don't seem to be going the way you would want. I love Proverbs 16. It says this, man will plan his ways, but the Lord will guide his steps. So many of us think that following Jesus happens in like these long strides and these epic decisions that change the world. That's what following Jesus looks like. This humongous moment in my life, day to day, that's what loving Jesus, following Jesus looks like. But the truth 
about following Jesus is that following Jesus is trusting him one step at a time. One step at a time. We, we get this misconception. Following Jesus means changing the world every single moment of every single day. I've got to pray for everyone. Be super spiritual. Listen to Hillsong. That's all I'm going to do. No, the truth about following Jesus is that following Jesus happens one faithful step at a time. We create these lofty dreams. Like we like write them down like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Jesus, this is going to be awesome. You watch. Like I'm going to do this. This is where I'm going to go. When I'm 25, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Europe. I'm going to marry a sweet honey. Jesus, you see this? This is going to be awesome. Let's go, Jesus. Let's go. And Jesus is like, no, no, follow me. But, but Jesus, like, follow. Okay, sweet. Awesome. Re- listen, Jesus, I am ready to go. Let's go. I got all this stuff planned for my life. What? No, follow, follow, follow you. I mean, I don't like it, but I'm going to do it anyways. Sweet, I'm here. Here I am. Jesus, let's go. Look at all this stuff we get to take. Again, another, another step. Seriously? Just one small step at a time. Guess what happens after a lifetime? Of one small step for, man, for following Jesus. <laughs> People are going to look at your life and be like, man, how did you do it? How did you get where you are? How did you know where Jesus was going to lead you? How in the world did you get this all figured out? And after a lifetime of faithful step after step, your answer will be, I have no idea. I had no idea. I didn't know where we were going. I just took one faithful step after another. The truth about following Jesus is it is one step at a time. But we all get distracted, don't we? We all get distracted from that one step because we're so busy looking at that life right next to us. That best friend of ours. That we forget that God has a destiny and a hope for us. And 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 we lose that hope because we're so busy comparing our journey to others' journeys. They seem to be reaching the goals that they want to reach, uh, making teams that they want to be on, being the most amazing people, having the most perfect family, and we feel like we're left in the dust. Anyone ever felt like that before? We cry out, God, it's not fair. Look at their life. Look at their path. What about me? It's not fair. Jesus is responding to you tonight. What about you? What's it to you? What does their life have anything to do with your life, the life that I'm calling you to? All you have to worry about is follow me. And we say, all right, Jesus, all right, I'm in, I'm on it. Follow you, let's do it. Where are we going? Where's, where, like, where are we going? Where are you taking me, Jesus? You want to know the truth about following Jesus? So many of us think that Jesus is leading us to a destination. No, the truth about following Jesus is that Jesus is not leading us to a destination. Jesus is the destination. Jesus is the destination. I love what Jesus says in John chapter 14. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. Jesus doesn't say, I'm a way, I'm part of your life. No, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the journey. I'm not, the destination that Jesus is taking you to is more of Jesus. 
But so many of us are focused on this idea of a path. What is my path supposed to be? Why does his path look like that? Why does her path look like that? And Jesus is saying, no, it has nothing to do with where I'm calling you. Follow me. Follow me. There's some of you in this room that will never be satisfied because your mindset is that you are using Jesus to get to a destination. Some of you will never be satisfied because your ultimate goal, your ultimate destination is more popularity. Some of you will never be satisfied because some of you think that the ultimate goal in your life, the ultimate, ultimate destination is more money. Big house, awesome hot wife. I landed that one. And then like... <laughs> That's the biggest goal. Like, if I do that, that's where I'm going. And you will never be satisfied if that is your destination because the final destination has always been and will always be Jesus. And it happens one step at a time. The author of Hebrews says that we run the race. Do you know where our eyes go to when we run the race? Do you know what he says? Setting your eyes to Jesus. As we run the race. So many of us are so looking at the lane next to us. What does their life look like? Why do they have all this stuff? Why do they seem to be having all the blessing? Why does their family seem perfect and mine seems like it's falling apart? That's not fair, Jesus. And Jesus is pleading to you. That has nothing to do. We're all following the same person. But Jesus has a unique path for you. Don't miss it. Don't miss the journey that Jesus has you on. Don't miss those small steps that God is calling you to because you're too busy focusing on the person next to you. What does that have to do with you? What's it to you? Follow Jesus. Follow him. Let's pray.